0: <laughs> oh, what I see. Well, wait a minute. Now you haven't heard why I'm doing this. why well, I'm laughing so uh, obscenely here. Because uh, I'm just gonna warn you, this is a disclaimer. You better not listen tonight, okay? <laughs> wah, wah. by a naked doorbell ringer, called upon police today to conduct a nude lineup so a suspect will not be camouflaged by his clothes when they view him. No nude lineups, the cops said. They said that if everybody in the lineup had to take his clothes off, it would be, quote, unfair to innocent persons. They'll just have to identify with his clothes on, one officer said. The women, police would not say what the exact number is, protested that they might not be able to identify the man with his clothes on. For the last three months, the man has appeared in the altogether in apartment houses, punched doorbells, grinned when women answered, and ran. Police captured a suspect early today, and when word got around that a suspect was in jail, the women asked for a nude lineup. Police said that the man's act never changed. He did the same thing every time. he just ring the bell, they'd open the door, he'd grin, and then run. One time however he wore tennis shoes but on all other occasions all he wore was a simple silly grin yeah your little creep ho ho There, that's better. And, you know, this uh, nude thing is getting really, <laughs> it's getting really wild. Are you aware that one of the big, uh, maybe you don't know this, uh, maybe I shouldn't be telling you this, but uh, uh, I'm a member of about 28 different unions, and, uh, you know, performers unions, AFRA, AGVA, Equity, SAG, all these different unions, and, uh. Maybe you don't know that uh, all performers are members of these unions. You probably don't even... Many people are not aware of that. I mean, ranging all the way from Richard Burton to Johnny Carson. You know that most politicians, too, are members of these unions. Not many people know that, That uh, a lot of politicians, because they Didn't you know that? Yeah. Uh, because uh, they've had to make appearances at one time or another where they were paid for their appearances, and uh, they became members of... Particularly after. Uh, after. I don't know whether or not Lindsay holds a card. Oh, yeah, sure, Lindsay holds a card. I think Lindsay is also an equity member. Uh, now, if you don't know what the different unions cover, AGVA, for example, covers, uh, oh, usually specialty acts like uh, strippers. <laughs> and, yeah, they do. That covers things like that. They have a vaudeville people who perform in circuses and that are AGVA. This is the American Guild of Variety Artists. After, of course, is uh, radio and television. The American, let's see, after. Uh, what's the after stand for? Uh, yeah. Federation of Radio and Television Artists. After. Then there's uh, the AGVA, and then there's AGMA, the American Guild of Musical Artists. That's musicians. And then there's uh, S- uh, A-E-A, and that's equity. And that uh, covers a legitimate stage, Broadway stage and so forth. And then, of course, there's SAG, Screen Actors Guild. And then there's uh, SWG, which is the Screen Writers Guild. And all these different unions, of course, uh, interlap because... Uh, it's very hard not to, uh, to belong to all of them, really. Because if you do certain commercials, that is covered by Screen Actors Guild. And if you do uh, a certain other things, it's covered by AFTRA. And so you wind up with a big bulging wallet full of, <laughs> full of union cards and a big bulging mailbox every month full of bills from the various unions. <laughs> and so so uh, you, you get all these little union uh, newspapers all the time. And once in a while I look at them, and they're kind of interesting. And do you know that currently one of the big hoopla's in one of the major unions, it's uh, one of the uh, actors union, is whether or not actresses should be compelled to submit to nude auditions due to the fact that so many new plays today require a chick to, to wind up totally in the buff in the second scene. And uh, there she is. Uh, you know, there she is. Uh, as naked as a jaybird, and this this is a whole big shtick now on Broadway, particularly well off Broadway, of course, but particularly it's getting a, you know, it's getting to sneak into Broadway, and uh, so naturally, uh, what's been happening up to now is a couple of little, uh, uh, like uh, Shyster and Magoon, two top producers, you see, get together, <laughs> and uh, they they suddenly realize this is a great thing, you see, and so so now they have open auditions for our new play called uh, Wow, or Hot Diggity Dog, or uh, Hooray for Castro, or something like that, see, so, uh, and it requires this beautiful, always it's a description of beautiful, sexy, unbelievably proportioned girl who uh, represents uh, truth and beauty, who, of course, is uh, being attacked by the evil forces of capitalism, and that will be in the second act, where she is uh, ripped, her clothes are ripped off, and the whole big thing happens right there in front of everybody, and it drives home the horror of uh, capitalistic uh, uh, evil motives versus the beautiful, uh, wonderful motives of the true, beautiful people. Well, all right. Uh, so what happens? The Saturday afternoon, they start auditions. And uh, all the beautiful girls show up, or at least the theoretically beautiful girls show up. And the shyster and magoon sitting down there in their little dark. All right, now, uh, baby, uh, uh, okay, yeah, you read that line all right. All uh, right. You're very good now with the four-letter words. That was real good, the way you hollered that. Now, because you got to come out with it natural. See, so it's got to be natural. Now, uh, 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 now you take, take the page four in the script there. You got it there? Now, give her page four, will you, buddy? Yeah. Buddy's the stage man. Give her page four, buddy, all right? You see where it says uh, uh, the uh, Miss Liberty? See what it says Miss Liberty, in the second paragraph there. You got the script here. How are you? All right. Uh, Miss Liberty is seen uh, in a cold white light, stripped bare naked. You see that? Where it says that? Uh, would you give us a reading on that one? Yeah. Well, uh, what, 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 what does it sound like? Are you, what kind of a dumb klutz are you? What does it sound like, baby? Do you want to give us a reading on it? What do you mean? There's no words. You're saying it with your body. The new theater does not have words. We don't know. I mean, you know, what what do words represent, huh? Your brain, your intellect, right? Well, that's out. This is a play about passions. All right, now, give us a reading on that scene. What do you mean, stupid? What does it sound like? Take off your clothes. All of them, come on, come on. If you're going to be in this play, you got to do it. So five minutes later, there's this chick standing out there in the cold, bright, white light. Shyster and Magoon uh, agree that she's not right, and they call in the next one. And a wonderful afternoon is held by all. <laughs> Have you thought about that? Oh, and it's a new idea, isn't it? So would you please, uh, if you will, Alvin, please, uh, hit, the, hit the ding-dong there. I'm the chic-chic of B, friends, and I'm putting on this little play. And this little play calls for, well, we're going to make a big statement about life and truth and beauty and art and sensitivity, too. Yeah, we're going to talk about evil capitalism and the beautiful will of the people. We're going to salute Fidel and Shea. Not to mention Ho Chi Minh. Da-da-da-da-da. Now let's all use strip right there. Get them light bulbs in the right place, Fred. We're holding auditions for our play. We're going to be closed. We hope that the cops will close us down. We'll be famous and on the cheeky cheek of therapy. I'm a big I'm now a big producer. And I'm having more fun than anybody if I hear and hold these readings. <laughs> oh, da, da doo, 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 doo. Hey, that not bad. That was a cute little tune, wasn't it? Whittle 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 I talk to. You. We'll have to have Jay here <laughs> But uh, you know, uh this uh, presents some problems. And uh You know, this isn't a union problem. I didn't invent it. It really is that, uh, that they're objecting to this. A lot of the chicks are. But, of course, a lot of them are digging it because uh, uh, most actors and most actresses way down deep inside are total, complete, thorough exhibitionists. And uh, this is one of the things that brings people into showbiz, the drive of exhibitionism. Now, this guy that was walking around in Houston ringing doorbells, and uh, you know there he is. He appears in the, the total Jaybird. Now he could really be if you're if if I was going to be his lawyer and I was I was going to try to I was going to try to get him off. If they caught this guy, you know what I would what I would plead, Al. I would plead. I would say, uh, now, uh, 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 members of the jury, we have here before us today a man who is largely misunderstood by the uptight society that we live in today. Still, as it is bound by Victorian mores, as it is bound by old outmoded moral codes, which uh, all the young people realize are silly and ridiculous, we have us before us today a man who is about to be a victim of the evil forces of prejudice and bias and false moral values. Charlie W. Appelrod, who you see sitting here in the dock, fully clothed, I might point out, because he's a respectable man. Charles W. Applerot, seated here in the dock, is labeled to be, in the year 2169, one of the most honored names in American art history. Charles Applerot is one of the first men to bring the theater to the people. Charles Roth years ago, realized that the theater had artificial walls and barriers that it was setting up around it. And one of the most artificial walls and barriers that it set up around itself was the fact that people had to come to the theater. People had to leave their own homes. And in many cases, travel many miles to come to the theater. Probably many of you have done this yourself. What could be more democratic, more dynamic, and more totally in spirit with the one-to-one communication that all true right-thinking liberal people today are searching for, than to bring the theater right to the people, right to the people. And Charles W. Appelrod stands before you today, a pilloried artist, a man who tried before his time, and all men who have tried to bring art and truth and beauty before their time to the people have suffered the slings and the arrows and the unkind fates and words of those people who always stand in the way of progress. Socrates, Galileo, Da Vinci, these men all suffered the same that Charles Applerot is about to be meted out by an uptight society. Charles W. Applerot is going to be asked today to drink the Hemlock Cup by people who are not fit to be his judges. We should have in this dock instead twelve of the outstanding theatrical artists of our time to judge this man who at a very early age began the work that now culminates in this courtroom. At the age of two, Charles Applerock ran a block and a half without his diapers. At the very early age of two, I want you to know this man knew the direction he was going in. At the age of five, he was twice expelled from kindergarten for acts which they today called, and even in those days they called, obscene and indecent, Those words have no meaning in our new, open, swinging society. Unjustly accused, he sits before you now. A man who tried to bring, in his own way, and every man we all know must do today his own thing, in his own way, he tried to bring theater. To whom? The Mrs. Robinsons of the world. The ladies of the world whose lives had been ground down in senseless, ridiculous marriages, whose lives had been bound by trivial prejudices from the very earliest days of their life, hungering for excitement and joy and pleasure and the sight of real, honest life. Charles W. Appleroth realized this need in the hearts and the minds of every American housewife, even according to his most Vicious accusers. He smiled when he delivered his theatrical message to them. He laid not a hand on these people. Oh, no. But they laid hands on him through the agency of the cruel, brutal police. We all recognize that the police themselves today have become a force unto themselves. Who? Oh, can forget Chicago. So I say to you today, if you, if you call Charles Appelrod guilty, you are calling American art, American theater, indeed the future of our cultural life, guilty, you'll have but one answer. You must declare him an innocent man, and not only an innocent man, but you must commend him. And so I conclude my case. I conclude one of the most serious cases of my career. They will little remember the words that are spoken in this courtroom today, but what we do here today may reach well into the 21st century. And beyond. Are we going to do to Charles Applerock what we did to Socrates? What we did to Galileo? Oh, no. I know that I can trust you, the men and the women, of this journey to vindicate Charles W. Apple Rod. Artist. Genius. Honest man. I'm the sheikah man, Rabin. And i just been sprung, cool free. I'm on my way again. Rest my pants. I ain't got no pants to my name. Here I go, running free. I am. A little old happening. I'm Charlie W. Apple rap, and I'm just like an old J. <laughs> Did you like my speech to the jury there? Hey, right, George. I mean, Ed Begley couldn't have done it better. <laughs> uh, yeah, these things are, uh, you know, speaking of. Uh, uh, this uh, uh, periphery on this same subject. Did you did you receive a little note here recently? For those of you who are wondered about uh, your income tax, uh, here's a new out. This is a good time to talk about it. Uh, a little note from San Francisco topless dancer Marlene Sherman says the IRS has agreed to allow her to deduct a $1,300 operation as a business expense. Marlene, who goes under the professional name of her professional name is Dorf and Fanny, said that the uh, operation was a silicone insertion which changed her bust measurement from 34 to 40 inches. And that, <laughs> and that, of course, is now deductible for those of you who are wondering about this. It's kind of nice. What it is a business. After all, it is a business investment. If your name is a uh, and Fanny, uh, you've got a lot of interesting business deductions that most of us don't have. And so... Uh, uh, <laughs> this little note right here is going into my vast file of trivia so that they'll know uh, how our time really was. But uh, that reminds me, uh, I wonder if certain other people are taking certain other business expenses that could conceivably be uh, legal, too, when you think. think about it. Well, there's a lot of professions, gang. Some of them are older than others. I'm just thinking. Just let me think here for a minute. All right, all right. Uh, okay, now I'm back again. I'm back again. Of course, the law works in strange ways. You never know how it's going to work. Uh, there's another little note here that uh, tells you a little bit about the uh, uh, obliqueness of the law. Roger L. Premple, 26 years old, of New Lenox, Illinois, was charged with, and here's what he was charged with. Illegal entry to a controlled access highway. He took an illegal entrance to a turnpike, that's what it amounts to, for landing on the median strip of Highway I-55, about five miles east of here. Sergeant John Oldman of the state police said Mr. Premble was a member of a parachute club, which jumps near Joliet, Illinois, every Sunday. He said that club members frequently landed on the grassy strip in the middle of the four-lane divided highway. Despite repeated warnings, that the distraction to motorists could cause accidents, but I think what's significant is that he was charged with illegal entry. Now he wasn't charged with illegal parachute jumping on the highway. He was charged with illegal entry. Which uh, that reminds me of a friend of mine uh, who uh, runs a big restaurant here in town. He's a he's a, an airplane cuckoo. Like hey, by the way, speaking of airplane cuckoos, how many of you dug... That, that that great cover on last week's New Yorker. Did you see last week's The, the, the New Yorker? In fact, I think it's still out on, on the stands. It's a terrific cover. It's a very imaginative cover. And a difficult subject, too, because it's not easy to, to, to catch that atmosphere. But take a look at that cover. I won't say any more about it. I'll just let you think about that. But a friend of mine, uh, like myself, too, a friend of mine is an airplane cuckoo. And the one day, he, he was flying out over Jersey, and he was in his airplane. And uh, generally, uh, airplanes are really—they're really very safe. Uh, I, I don't want to want to uh, pound that issue into the ground, but they are because uh, these things are highly machined. The technical failures in private aircraft are very rare. Technical failures now, pilot failures are more more prevalent. Technical failures to the airplane are extremely rare. And uh, anyway, this friend of mine has his airplane, and, and uh, he'd been flying for a long time, like for years. And uh, he'd been an ex-fighter pilot. He'd been flying jets all over the place. And so uh, one day, uh, he decided to take his elderly father out for the first time in his airplane. His father had never been in a private plane, and it was a four-seater plane. And that, so the old man, he invites a, an elderly gentleman friend of his who was a distinguished uh, a member of the clergy. And so now all three of them are up in the airplane. It is Sunday afternoon, and they're flying out over the New Jersey countryside. And it's beautiful. Oh, it's a beautiful. If you've ever flown out over the Jersey countryside as you fly south, when you get out of the, uh, the Jersey crud belt, when you get away from the, from the dumps out along... Uh, uh, the the uh, turnpike, and you get away from uh, the whole New York complex, and you start, particularly if you fly south in Jersey, you, you fly down towards the Delaware River. You get out towards Bucks County. It really gets lovely over in that whole area near Flemington and so on. And so he is flying along. He's at 8,000 feet. You got it now? His old man is sitting on the back looking out of the window. First time he's ever been in the private plane, and he's digging it. See, he's just really enjoying this. And the uh, the elderly clergyman is looking out the other side, and they're flying along. It's eight thousand feet. That's a good altitude. And the clouds are way up there above them, and the sun is shining, and the the water down below you can see little glints of rivers are, are sparkling in the sun. And uh, my friend uh, decides that uh, he's going to uh, he's going to drop a little altitude. You see, he was he's going to come down a little bit. Now, when you drop altitude in an airplane, you do it by throttling. It's, it's all done by the throttle. Uh, you, can, uh, you, can, uh, occur, you can cause limited uh, altitude changes to occur by using your ailerons and so on. But the, if you want to lose altitude, the real way to do it is to throttle back a little bit, you see, and your plane will slowly drift down and then go back to cruise speed. So he reaches out to take his throttle, And he pulls it back a little bit. And the throttle is a plunger type. See, it's not like on a car where your throttle is actually a foot pedal. This is a throttle of a plunger type. You know, like they used to have a throttle on the cars. You pull the throttle out and and run the car a little bit. Well, they're plunger type throttles. It's the way an aircraft works. So he reaches out and he pulls his throttle back a little bit. And suddenly he feels in his hand it goes twang. The cable broke in his throttle. He pulls it all the way out. Have you ever pulled out a cable? You know, the cable comes all the way out. And the motor instantly drops to idle. In other words, no gain at all. <laughs> Nothing. It's just like uh, it's just like taking your foot completely off the gas pedal of your car, and you're in big traffic. You know, you're going along 60 miles an hour on the turnpike. You take your foot out the throttle, what happens? Well, your car slows up, very much so. And it, it stops eventually. And so he pulls that fly up, Uh uh-oh, and the plane starts to come down. Very nice and calm. Everything is calm and cool. He's coming down. And the prop is out in front. It's idling. So he trims it up, and his mind, this is a good flyer. You see, his mind immediately is calculating all the barriers. He knows he's going to (laughs) land. That's for sure. His mind is immediately calculating all the various uh, avenues of escape open to him. He looks off to one side. He sees nothing but uh, houses. He's not going to go down there. uh, He looks off to another side, and there's a lot of hills with woods. He knows he's not going there, because if he goes in there, he knows there's a lot of woods there. He ain't going to go far. And if he does, there's going to be a lot of excitement if he tries. And so here he is. What is below him? The turnpike beautiful and shining in the sun and covered with Sunday traffic and so he puts this plane into the best possible glide that he can put her into and he comes slowly about into the wind when you're making a when you're making a forced landing remember to make it into the wind friends always and so he comes into the wind and the people are sit- he says nothing to them back there. They're sitting back there looking out, <laughs> they're digging the scene. There's no point in telling them, you see. Except that he turns once and he says, uh, your seatbelt fastened, uh, Dad? You know, messages from, oh, yeah, indeed it is. And the seatbelt is fastened. And so he heads into the wind and he begins the long glide down. And he's looking down at the traffic. Now, it is also axiomatic that if you're going to land on a highway, land with the traffic, not against it, for obvious reasons. And so he is now lining up with a, with a, with a lane, you see. The, the turnpike has a big divided lane. For those of you who know it, it's a big divided lane. And he lines up with the one that is going away from him. he's and now he's now in phase with the traffic. And so he's drifting down a down. Beautiful. And he's controlling this thing just like uh, the, the great flyer that he is. He's really on top of it. And the wind is, is whistling through the wind. You can hear the wind. When you're in a glide, that's a beautiful feeling, by the way. A glide is one of the most exciting feelings in a light plane because it's a feeling of almost total freedom. It's a kind of drifting feeling. You Wind drifts past your wings and he's drifting down right into the wind. Well, now he sees directly below him as he's about, he's coming down, you see, and he's trying to maneuver between cars. He, he wants to make sure that he, he doesn't land on top of a car or too close behind one, and he sees a gap in the traffic. Well, he slows up a little bit by pulling back on the yoke. You see, this slows the plane just slightly. It drops airspeed. And she begins to drop quicker, you see. When you drop airspeed naturally, she comes down quicker. And she starts drifting down. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful approach. And now directly ahead of him is this tremendous bulking hulk of a greyhound bus. He is landing directly in the wake of a huge greyhound that's booming on its way down the, down the turnpike. Full bore. You know how these buses go? And he sees, as he's about to land, he sees the startled face of the driver who is looking in his rearview mirror. And, and and what does the guy see in his rearview mirror? Does he see a Volkswagen? Does he see a Ford? Does he see uh, a, a, an Oldsmobile, Tornado? No. He sees a low-wing, four-place airplane just flying along right behind him. <laughs> See, because he's, he's in his last approach. He's just flying along right with the bus. Say, and the bus driver looks. He says, "A oh, fantastic look on this guy's face. And they're just coming down, and he lays that down on that highway without even so much as a bounce. Beautiful landing. And he's taxiing now. He's taxiing along the along a turnpike, and he sees behind him another car with a wild-looking guy it, his eyeballs staring, see? And he just taxis along, and he's going along with the traffic, you see, because the plane lands at a speed of about 60 miles an hour, roughly, between 55 and 60, so he's right with traffic. He's just going along there like all the rest of them. And all of a sudden, off to his right, after he's taxied maybe 500 feet, there's a little exit way, and it says, for emergency use only. For official vehicles only. You ever seen those things? And he just goes, whoop! He gives it a little le- little right brake, and little rudder, and off he goes. He taxis about another 200 feet or so up that thing, and he slowly eases on the handbrake and stops. Not a scratch. And they sit for a second in silence, and the engine is still ticking over a little bit. <laughs> and the traffic is going by on the turnpike. With that, the old man in the back seat says, uh, Oh, uh, say, Archie. I Say, Archie. I have to throw a little brogue in there. Say, Archie. This is very, very, very handy. The way they have fixed up the turnpike for airplane landings. This is very handy. Don't you think so, Father? And the old priest says, Very, very handy. It certainly is. Two old Irishmen in the back seat. And Archie says, I didn't have the heart to tell. (laughs) <laughs> I just didn't have the heart to tell him. And so he opens the door and says, "Well, let's step out, friends." At the, the two of them stepped out. At the, by this time, of course, the guard is running down from, from, the, from the toll gate over there, and Archie gets him off the one says, "Don't tell the old man. It's all right. You know, it's okay. They don't know anything about it here. Uh, I just put the call in. That, uh, that, uh, see if you can get us a cab or something. And uh, I'll just tell him it's okay." And so they're standing there looking at the birds and the bees, and, of course, a couple of kids are drifting over to look at the plane. After Ten minutes later, they're in a cab, and that was the end of the incident. To this day, they don't know what happened. <laughs> now, that's a true story. That's a true flying story, Al. And, uh, these, uh, these little things come up, and, uh, and uh, oh, are you aware that you have to pay then to the toll tollpike? When you land on the turnpike, you have to pay the full turnpike fee. Oh, Yes. That's an illegal vehicle on the turnpike. <laughs> so he had to pay the fee. Now, uh, now, had he taken off from the turnpike, which he didn't, had he taken off from the turnpike later on, they often do that, but had he taken off, that would have been another fee, he'd probably been fined. But uh, as it was, he paid the tollpike fee, and that was the end of it. The, every, everybody's happy. How they got the plane out of there? Well, he called the airport later on. They came over, took the wings off, and towed it in, and that was it. No more problems. But uh, flyers uh, flyers are aware of some strange rules. Uh, did I tell you about the time that I was flying in an area out over Pennsylvania when when a parachutist went right past me? Did I tell you about that in my cross country shares. A guy floating along on a big yellow and green parachute. <laughs> and he floating along. He was a parachute jumper. So I, 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 I flew past him. I was maybe a maybe a 1,000 feet or more from him, and I could see the jump plane above him. The jump plane was maybe two or three, four or 500 feet above him. He just jumped out and, and probably just opened the parachute, And there I saw him floating around down there. Oh, you see all kinds of things when you're in the air that you don't see from the ground. I remember one day uh, watching a whole series of, uh, of gliders uh, fly. You don't see much glider work across around here because there's a lot of traffic and it isn't good for glider work. But upstate New York, you know that the, the state of New York is the is almost one of the world capitals of gliding. Elmira, New York, is where there's a tremendous amount of soaring and gliding done. And uh, for those of you who don't know the difference between soaring and gliding, I suppose it, it's a confusing term in your mind, but they are two different sports. Do you know that, Al? Well, soaring uses a different type of aircraft, too. Uh, gliding and soaring consist... Really, they're essentially the same, but basically different. It's like the difference between surfboarding, or rather, the difference between, yeah, surfboarding and water skiing. Now, uh, the difference really is pretty close, because when you're gliding, a glider merely comes down. Uh, in this way, if if, uh, if you're towed aloft, of course, all gliders are towed aloft in one way or another, uh, although now that the... You know that they now make powered gliders. They have gliders with little, uh, little tiny Volkswagen engines in them and so forth that uh, you can actually fly them as well as glide in them. But the, the classical glider is a glider, which means that it's towed to a certain altitude, and then it glides to the ground. And, of course, the guy in the glider controls the glide. He can, he can extend the glide or he can come down quicker. Uh, he can do all kinds of things to that glide, Now, a soaring plane is something else. A soaring plane soars, which means that when it's released at a certain altitude, the pilot searches for a thermal current, and he can stay aloft for as many, well, hours, sometimes days. I think they stay aloft as long as 36, maybe 72 hours, sometimes three days, by getting into updrafts and continuing to soar. You've seen, uh, you've seen, uh, well, seagulls soar quite a lot. You'll see a seagull just drifting along, and he's gaining altitude. Now, you notice sometimes when you watch a seagull gaining altitude, he's not even moving his wings. So he isn't really gliding. He's soaring, that he's moving upward with an air current. Now, a glider does that. A glider glides down. It's a gliding operation, which is not the same as soaring, which is not... See, gliding is a, is a, is a controlled descent, whereas soaring can be a controlled ascent. And so you're climbing and spinning and going. And, and uh, the, the art of soaring is a very difficult art to master. Gliding is comparatively simple, of course. Uh, gliding, uh, anyone who has a private pilot's license is uh, is equipped in a, in a couple of hours at a, in a glider to be a glider pilot. But uh, soaring, something else again. Soaring requires a tremendous knowledge of, uh, of wind currents, and uh, weather, convection currents, and so forth. And so, uh, as a as a soaring pilot will will fly, he's reading the ground below, and he can predict whether there'll be updrafts or downdrafts, or or uh, circular currents, or or uh, semicircular currents, or or S currents. There's all types of currents, and a and a really good soaring pilot can start at 3,000 feet, and in a few hours he'll be at Ten thousand feet, sometimes uh, fifteen thousand feet, with oxygen, and he will soar for for literally days on end without any connection with the earth, and just on and on, just soaring up there, using the, the currents. Is this interesting to you? Know, well, this uh, uh, you know that that the, that the rules of the road in flying give various aircraft precedence over others. For example, uh, a powered aircraft. Must give way to a glider. I don't care how big the aircraft is. If a jet airliner is uh, is in is 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 in uh, a course with a glider, the glider has precedence over that airliner. Obviously, because he doesn't have as much control. But then um, uh, there are there are aircraft that have precedence over gliders. You're probably aware of that. For example, a lighter-than-aircraft, a balloon. Has precedence over anything because a balloon is practically uncontrollable once she's up in the air, and so if you're up in a balloon, every you have precedence over everybody, uh, with one possible exception. One possible exception, and I don't know whether this has ever been tested. A parachutist is well. Is a parachutist considered in an aircraft? Well, that's a difficult question to to uh, to answer. I don't think it's ever been put to the test. Maybe it has. If it has, I don't know it. But if you're in a balloon, you have the air right away over every other aircraft. After that comes a glider. After that comes what? No, I shouldn't say that. After that comes what? After a balloon comes what? A blimp, which is a lighter than an aircraft. After that comes a powered aircraft. And they go all the way on up. They're, they're all different. Designations, and each one knows his own place on the road. Now, when you look up there, you probably think this is all chaos. People are just flying all around. Oh, no, not at all. There are rules on what side to pass. There are rules on how far away you can be from various types of aircraft. You can't just fly right up to a balloon, you know. You just can't. Illegal. But uh, these, are all, these are all things that are going on up there in that big, wild, blue yonder up there. The balloonists, the gliders, the soarers, the people. You know that there's going to come a day, there's going to come a day when uh, they're even going to have to make traffic designations for single-man jet-propelled flight. You know, they're working on, on jet belts where one man can fly, like old Buck Rogers. You remember Buck Rogers' famous flying belt? Well, you know that they're actually using experimental models in the military where a guy can fly all by himself. So you'll have to see a guy fly right past your 707 on your way to Baltimore. You know? <laughs> what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground.